Well, it's good to have you with us, especially those of you who are joining us as a visitor, especially to the uh, family. Um, I can tell you, as I told them before the service, I have baptized two infants at one time, having had one with John. I have not baptized four children, so that is, that is also a certain plus for me, and I'm being honored in that way, I suppose. To uh, mom and dad, you guys did a great job with names. I'm telling you, it's, a name. Uh, it's not like you know if you were, <clears throat> you know, William Williams. So. But uh, names are very important to uh, to us, especially as believers. Uh, turn in your Bibles to uh, our passage of study today, Matthew chapter six, and uh, I will not read the gospel lesson again, but I will read the gospel according to St. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye of the land, the eye is the land of the body, and your eyes are good, and the whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, the whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one or love the other, or he will be devoted to the one who despises the other. You cannot serve both God. Well, by way of introduction, we'll really have a, make a little bit of time to look into this passage, um, which I have uh, in my Bible uh, above uh, what the NIV puts treasures in heaven. I put uh, kingdom, the kingdom perspectives. And uh, that's a very important thing to remember uh, that as Christians, we are to live lives according to kingdom perspectives. And the Sermon on the Mount is exactly um, a summary of what that is for the Christian. It is to follow Jesus' demands, which are a totally different way of life. On the outset, Jesus lays it on the line here in the Sermon on the Mount in, in chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew. It is, if you will, for us, that a new age has dawned at the Sermon on the Mount. And it shows what human life is like after repentance and commitment to the King. And life is very different. It is not just, the Sermon on the Mount is not just another set of rules, regulations, or even a code of ethics, which is what Karl Marx and Mahatma Gandhi thought they were. And if that, if that were so, then there are certainly other codes of ethics that you could live by as well. But the Sermon on the Mount is special because it is inextricably linked, bound up, if you unable to separate from the relationship that the believer has with God 
Son, Jesus Christ. And so there is a sharp contrast between the standard of Jesus and the standards of others that either went before him or followed after him. The theme of the sermon on that, all three chapters, this sixth, chapter 6, verse 8, where Jesus says very succinctly, do not be like them. No sure five words would, uh, are important as they are today in our society for the church. Do not be like them. We say that to our children often, don't we? Do not be like them. So, so do not be like this person. Do not be like that person. That's a very grouchy person. Don't be grouchy. Do not be evil. Do not be bad. And Jesus is saying to the servant on the mountain, do not be like them. Do not be like the world. Do not adopt its principles. Do not adopt its thinking. Do not think that they that you can change it or mold it to make it Christian-like. Do not be like that. And so it is a radically different lifestyle with values and ambitions. And did you notice in the baptismal service, you can look it over again when you later on, but when we baptize the children, we don't refer them after they are baptized, in that one instance in the prayer, receive these like children as what? Faithful soldiers and servants. The Christian goes into the world, lives in this world, has two distinct ways. As a faithful soldier and as a servant. And so the setting is a mountainside. In Matthew's Gospel, there are four indications, there are four passages which will occur on the mountain or at the mountainside. And this is one. The others, if you want to know, are chapter 4, the temptation in the wilderness, the Sermon on the Mount, 5 through 7, the Transfiguration, chapter 17, and chapter 28, on the mountain where the farewell address is. Here we have a new value system, people like a new, a new law. The old law was given at Mount Sinai, was it not? This is the new law, so to speak. Given to the people of Christ's kingdom. In the first half of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus describes the Christian's private life, referring to it as a secret place. Talking about giving and praying and fasting. In the second half of chapter 6, he is concerned with what we would call our public business of the world. The questions of money, possessions, food, drink, clothing, and most importantly, ambitions. And the same contrast could be expressed in terms of our religious or our secular responsibilities. Although that distinction is made a little bit misleading. Because we cannot and should not separate as Christians 
these things that are like watertight pots. We should not divorce the sacred from the secular. And when that happens throughout church history, it has been disastrous. If we are Christians, everything we do, however secular it may seem, such as shopping, cooking, doing the, 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 the laborious things at work, that is religious in the sense that it is done in God's presence and according to his word. And one of the emphasis that Jesus makes in this chapter 6 is precisely on that point. That God is equally concerned with both areas of our life. He is interested both in my private life and my public life. In my religious life and in my secular life. I do not offer a distinction about the way I conduct myself in my private life and then try to conduct myself in a completely different way in my secular life or my job. For on the one hand, my Heavenly Father, as we are told, sees in secret. And on the other hand, our Heavenly Father knows that you need food, you need drink, you need clothing. And both the spheres are insistent sons of Jesus as heard the call to be different, not to be Not to be the same not to get along with everybody. We are called to be different from the hypocrisy of the religious. We are called to be different from the materialism of the religious. And although the Pharisees were largely in his mind at the beginning of the chapter, when you read through and go back and read through chapter 6 tonight, before you go to bed. It is the Gentiles whose value system he now bids us to renounce. Verse 32. For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. What do they run after? They run after what they shall eat. The clothes that they wear. jobs that they seek out. In fact, Jesus places the alternatives before us at every stage. There are two treasures on earth. Earth and heaven. There are two bodily conditions, light and darkness. There are two masters, God and money. There are two preoccupations, our bodies and the kingdom. What is Jesus saying? If you are going to be a follower of Christ, you and I cannot sit on the fence. It becomes very uncomfortable. But how shall we make our choice? Worldly ambition has a strange and strong fascination for us, doesn't it? The spell of materialism is very harmful. Especially in the United States. 
Jesus helps to choose, helps us to choose well. He points out the folly of the wrong way and the wisdom of the right. And just like the very topic on piety and prayer, so here regarding ambition, he sets the false and the true over against each other in such a way as to invite us to compare and see ourselves. Where do we stand up to that standard? Saving for a rainy day is not forbidden to Christians. For that matter, the insurance policy, which is only a kind of saving by self-imposed compulsion. But Scripture praises the end of Proverbs, doesn't it? Restoring in the summer the food it will need in the winter. And declares that the believer who makes no provision for his family is actually worse than an unbeliever. Need of the world's underprivileged people. 
foolish fantasy that a person's life consists in the abundance of their possession. And I'm sure you know that he will like that. Finding the materialism that binds our hearts to the earth. You see, the Sermon on the Mount repeatedly refers to the heart. And here Jesus declares that our heart always follows our treasure. Always. Whether it is on the earth or on the heaven. And so in a word, to lay up treasure on earth does not make, does not mean being provident, that is making sensible provision for the future. But being covetous, like misers who hoard and materialists who always want See, that's the real snare that Jesus is warning you. Wherever the gospel is taught, wrote Martin Luther, and people seek to live according to it, there are two terrible plagues that always arise false teachers and greed that obstructs light. treasure we call it Jesus reminds us we're rusty and moth-eaten. And thieves break into spirit. By the way, the Greek word there for rust actually means eat. Could refer to corrosion, but equally to anything that devours something else like Somehow, someone gets into your account through some sort of computer method. You're covered by your bank up to a certain amount, aren't you? There's no covers there. Jesus. If you lost your savings, whatever it was, the pittance that you had, it was lost. No one was there to save. No one was there to save. No one was there to pay you back. Don't worry. You can go down to your local <coughs> government store. Government office and, and apply for it. You and I live in a rich, rich time. It also does not mean that Jesus was teaching some sort of doctrine of merit or treasury of merits that you kind of save up in heaven. It was so popular that the reformers railed against the Middle Ages.
It seems rather, you see, to, to think about this, to refer to these things as the development of Christ-like character. That's the thing that Jesus was getting on to. The things that matter most in this world and the next are the things that we do to increase faith and hope and charity. All of which the Apostle Paul said, abide. Growth in the knowledge of Christ, whom one day we shall see him face to face. The active endeavor of prayer, witness, the study of Scripture, to introduce others to Christ so that they too may inherit eternal life, the use of money for Christian causes, such as the ones that we support in our own private, <coughs> private way or from our denomination. Things that are going to make a difference in people's lives for the gospel. It could also be something like helping a young, a young person get into seminary. I was privileged when I was growing up in the Reformed Episcopal Church that my home church would pay for the scholarship, they would pay for tuition to the Reformed Episcopal Seminary. See, this then is the treasure in heaven. It cannot be stolen. It cannot be moved away. Your growth, my growth in holiness and faith and charity can never be taken away from you. That is a treasure that is in heaven and is secure. And precautionary measures are unnecessary. don't need to call my insurance agent and say, I want to make sure that my faith is secure. Well, if he was a Christian, he would say, you better make sure his faith is secure. Do you know how to And so therefore, Jesus seems to be saying to us, and I close, if it's a safe investment you are at, nothing could be safer than us. It's the only guilt Edged security whose guilt will never tarnish. Never tarnish, never be wasted. 
restored, always secure. 